The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good morning, everyone. I am coming to you live from Tower View Baptist Church. Currently, I am in Amy Center's classroom, the young adults classroom. Last week, we had some issues. I forgot to mention whose classroom we were in. We are in Pastor Darren's senior adult classroom where Pastor Darren is the youngest guy in there by, I don't know, probably a couple decades. But last weekend, myself and many other people had issues. Chrome and Facebook decided to quit cooperating with each other last week, and I had to find another last-second solution, so I had to use a different device. I am back on my computer and not using Chrome this week. I'm using a different browser. So, we are here. We are continuing our work, walk through the book of Romans. Um, if you are new to this broadcast, I am Pastor Nelson. I'm Associate Pastor here at Tower View Baptist Church. If you want to know more about us, check out our website at towerviewkc.com. Obviously, you found our Facebook page, so you can follow us there. Tower View Baptist Church. We're in Kansas City, Missouri right next to the world's a fun water tower excuse me while i knock stuff over on my desk here all right let's have a word of prayer lord god as we study your word this morning help us to open our minds open our hearts so that the holy spirit can change us that can continue to change us because you are the mighty god lord in this is part of our worship to you as we study your word. We just pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we are continuing our study in the book of Romans, and this week we're in Romans 13. But remember, Scripture doesn't, you don't just look at a Scripture by itself. Where is it in the book? What What was before it in the book? What is after it in the book? And so Romans 1 through 11, Paul talks about the theology of salvation and and beginning to talk about godly living. Big words, if you want to know the big words for that, that is the theology of justification and sanctification. And part of that sanctification, that part of that godly living, he beginning in chapter 12, he starts talking about how do we live with each other in a godly living. And in verse 12, in chapter 12, verse 1, which many people know by heart, says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And so beginning in chapter 12, when we looked at chapter 12 last week, he starts um, unpacking that. What does that mean in godly living? In chapter 13, he starts talking about that. 
Um, in chapter 12, he talks about that in relation to each other, just living life day to day with people around us, with Christians and with non-Christians. And in chapter 13, he starts talking about that in relation to our government. Now remember, as Paul wrote this, he was under the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was not Christian at that time. That didn't happen for another almost 400 years. Under, uh, when, under, under Caesar, when Paul was alive, they worshipped the, the Roman gods that we now we consider a mythology, but at that time was considered um, a religion. There were temples to Zeus and Apollo and Aphrodite and Diana and all, those, and all those gods that we read about, all the gods that our planets are named after. They were considered true gods at that time. And so this is the world that Paul is, is living under, and this is who he's talking about. So as we get to chapter 13, Paul, um, let's see what I want. Chapter 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. Let everyone submit to the, government, to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God, so then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's, for it is God's servant for you to, it is for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because you do not carry the sword, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servants. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore you must submit not only of the wrath, but also because of, con of your conscience. And for this reason you pay taxes. Since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks, pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those who owe taxes, tolls to, to those who owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So Rome was an ungodly government. They did not, um, in some ways they allowed worship to other gods as long as you didn't um, say anything bad about their gods, as long as you didn't do anything against them. The Romans allowed the Jews to practice until the Jews rebelled. The Romans sometimes let the Christians practice. Different emperors at different times did not allow them to practice because they refused to burn incense to the Roman gods and go to the temple and pay temple taxes to the Roman gods. And so sometimes they allowed the Christians to worship and sometimes they didn't. It was it was kind of it went up and down over the over the Roman times until Constantine made the Roman Empire a Christian empire. But it says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities. He didn't just say, well, only to godly governing authorities. He said governing authorities. I don't know if he was thinking about other times and other places, but think about it through the Old Testament. 
Daniel served the king of Babylon who conquered Israel. He served him his whole life. And at the end of his life, he served the king of Persia. Neither one of these were godly men. They did not follow the laws of Moses. But Daniel followed them. Except in the only time that he did not follow them, or the children of, some of the children of Israel did not follow them, is when their laws explicitly went against God. When, Mo, when Daniel was explicitly forbid to pray, he prayed anyways. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were expressly told that they need to bow and worship to this statue, this foreign god, they refused. As long as God, the laws of the land do not go against the laws of Scripture, we are to follow the laws of the land. That has a lot of implications today with this whole COVID thing. Do we follow the laws of the land and open our churches and not open our churches or limit the, the things that we do and the things that we, how many people are allowed in? Some jurisdictions are saying no singing is allowed. Uh, some are limiting the number of people that are allowed. And what do we do? Do we follow the rules of the land or not? You've got to read this and decide. Are they stopping us from committing God's law? Is this a permanent thing? Is this a temporary thing? Is it applying to everybody equally? Or just to churches? If they're saying no singing is allowed, but they're allowing secular concerts to go on, then that's a thing. But if all secular concerts are canceled, all secular um, gatherings are canceled, and then and they cancel churches, well, that's part of all part of the same thing. So we need to think about that. I know some churches, even in the Kansas City area, have filed a suit against um, one of the local governments. And so this is going to be a thing. Different states have different rules. What do we do? It's a you need to read this and read this in light of Romans one and two. Are you a living sacrifice? Are you presenting everything that we do as holy and pleasing to God? God created the authorities. Did Paul make this up? No. Back in the book of John, when Jesus was arrested and he was talking to Pontius Pilate, in Romans and in, in John nineteen. In verse 10 it says, So Pilate said to him, Pilate said to Jesus, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him in verse 11, You would have no authority over me at all if, I had, if it hadn't been given from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus told Pontius Pilate, who, was not, who did not follow God, did not follow Yahweh, did not consider Jesus to be the Son of God, he told Pontius Pilate his authority was given to him by God from above. And so you think about down through history of all the leaders throughout history in all the different countries, big countries, small countries, city governments. They are there, even the evil ones. When we think of Stalin or Hitler, um, modern day ones, we think 
you know, who, who, who do we follow? Well, I'll follow the rules of the president I like. I like Reagan, so I'll follow him. No, I like Clinton. I'll follow him. Obama, Trump, who do we follow? God, it's, it's clear right here. It says in Scripture, you are to follow the laws of your land, except when they explicitly go against it. Um, uh, Peter and John in, in Acts chapter 4, they were arrested for preaching about Jesus. And Peter and John answered the Sanhedrin court, and they said, whether it is right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So the law forbade them to preach about Jesus, and they weren't going to follow that law. They were going to keep preaching about Jesus. And so, you know, when we as Christians, what do we do? Do we follow zoning laws? Do we follow the speed limit? Do we pay our taxes? Um, all those things. Uh, do we follow the IRS rules? As long as they don't stop us from preaching the gospel, yes, we follow them. Sometimes it's a pain in the rear. We may not like them. But in our system of government in the United States of America, we can petition the government, we can petition our, our legislatures to change the law. And laws do change. Sometimes it takes a while, but laws do change. Why do we follow the law? Because God put those leaders in charge. He put them in charge. That, if you live in China right now, if you live in North Korea, if you live in Iran... Saudi Arabia, and you think God put those guys in charge, and Christians are arrested. In, in some countries, it, it, in China, it's illegal to, for a pastor to preach the gospel without it being approved by the government. In Saudi Arabia and Iran, it is illegal for a Muslim to convert and become a Christian. It, and the penalty is death, or at least imprisonment. And so... But we, yet we, they still preach the gospel in China. There are still Christians in North Korea. The Christian church in Iran is growing. The Christian church in Saudi Arabia still exists. And so we follow God to the best of our abilities. Following the rules of the land. Why? Because we are still bound to do the right thing. In verse 4 it says, For it is... Is God's servants for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid. If you do wrong. So if you cheat on your taxes so I can give more to the church, no, you're doing wrong. You may you may say you have a a, a good reason for it, but you are doing wrong. And if the IRS comes down on you and confiscates you know things from you, you yourself and forces you to pay back taxes <coughs> they they are justified to do so because god gave them the sword god gave them the thing it says they are the avenger in chapter 12 it says we do not have the right to avenge that is god's privilege not ours and god part of that is through the government that avenging the people who do wrong 
And so Christians have, you know, did um, Robin Hood. He broke the law. Is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? According to the legend of the way we, it's told in the movies, he was stealing. Stealing is wrong, even if you have good motives. And so he wasn't preaching the gospel. He wasn't worshiping God. He was just taking money from one person to give it to another. And so by this definition, Robin Hood was wrong. And so we are to follow God's will. In verse 5, it says, Therefore, you must submit. Must submit. But, but I don't like our president. I don't want to do what he says. You must submit. I disagree with the way our state is handling this crisis. I like some other states' way they're handling it better. You must submit. Not only because of the wrath, but because of your conscience. And so it goes on about money. It says you must pay taxes. Okay, we must pay our taxes. I know there, there's a, I've seen in some Facebook groups, you know, tax, you know, taxes are theft. Well, that may be, but we live in a system of government. You can change the laws. And so you should work to do that. And that is perfectly fine. Verse 7, pay your taxes, pay your tolls. In the Roman world, if you went from one city to another, you had to pay tolls as you enter the city. Um, in America, we only have to pay tolls if you get on the right road or wrong road, depending on how you want to look at it. You know, respect those, you know, give people respect and honor. So that means using the proper honorary titles for people. You call a judge your honor. You call the president Mr. President, whether you voted for him or not. Um, if you go to another country, you know, you may have to bow before a leader. Or they may have other customs and other titles. But we are to follow God. We are post, even as a pagan government, even as a godless government, as long as they are not stopping us from serving our risen Savior, we are to follow their rules. And this whole COVID thing, that just throws a whole other ball of wax into it. Because... Seemingly, all these rules and stuff are temporary and that they'll eventually go away. Are they being applied evenly? That's a good question. Um, and so, but in our, in our system of government, we can file a lawsuit against a, we, a law that we consider unjust. We have ways to deal with that. But what do we do? In verse 8, it says, do not owe any, anyone anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are all summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So now he's moving on from just talking about the government, but going back to talking about how do you treat one another. Um, and this includes in the business. I would, I would say this also includes in the business world. Individuals one-on-one, -on -one, but also in the business world. Do, no, do not owe anyone anything. Pay your debts. 
That doesn't say that there, you shouldn't never have a debt, but pay your debts. If you have a loan, pay it. If you borrowed something, return it. Don't own anything except the love of one another. So we should always be in debt, at least in the debt of love, to one another. Because that's what the law prescribes. And when he's talking about the law, he's talking about, and then he lists the, some of the Ten Commandments. And if you look at a, a, a list of the Ten Commandments, and you see that commands one through four deal with how our relationship is with God. Commandments five through ten, the last six, talk about our relationship with each other. And that's what Paul quotes here. He quotes some of that, uh, that what we call the second tablet. Adultery. That's something we do with another person. Murder. Obviously another person. Stealing. Coveting what somebody else has. We, you know, those things, we need to continue to follow those laws because they're summed up in another law that is also in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's in Leviticus. Jesus quoted it in Matthew. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. You are living as, remember, going back to verse chapter 12, you are a living sacrifice. That means sometimes you need to give up something, your right. In America, we have our rights. Well, we demand our rights. But some, what if your rights harms another person? Does your following your rights help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to others and show the love of God to another? Does demanding your right help expand the gospel? And so that's what you need to think about. This is not about your rights. This is about the love of God. A living sacrifice. Do not be conformed to this age, it says in 12.2, but be transformed. Okay? You know, I think the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights is a good document, but, is not a, but it is not Scripture. It is not always right in every situation. And we think that the same way too. Well, we have a right to free speech, but you don't have the right to yell fire in a movie theater when there's no fire. Because you might cause a stampede and somebody get hurt. And therefore, your right to free speech is limited. Um, we have laws about liable. You know, because you can't just say anything you want. You can't tell lies about other people. Same way we have laws about racism in our country, okay? Because that it's above free speech. We say, hey, you can't you can't say those types of things because it's detrimental to others. And so as long as it doesn't stop us from the gospel, we need to follow the law of the land. We need to love one another. We need to love our neighbor. We need to do no wrong to our neighbor. Racism does wrong to a neighbor. Um, showing favoritism does wrong to a neighbor. For not returning something you borrowed does wrong to your neighbor. Not paying your taxes does wrong to your neighbor. Not following the zoning codes does wrong to your neighbor. Okay? If you don't like the zoning codes, then work to change them. But follow them until they're changed. And so... 
we are to be godly when we deal with one another, not just in our prayers to God, not just in our worship to God on Sunday morning. We are to be godly at all times. That is a living sacrifice. We are to be godly when it comes with dealing with the government. It's to be godly when dealing with each other. Be godly when we borrow something. We need to be godly at all times. Verse 11, besides this, since you know since you know the time, it is, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. So he's making a plea that we need to do this now. This is not a thing that, okay, well, I'll do this more when I get older. I'll do this when I have more money. Then I'll pay my taxes. No, we need to do it now. It is already the hour. Whenever scripture talks about it, it is the hour, it means we got to do it now. That's the present time. The time is now. We need to wake up. Wake up. We are a living sacrifice today. Not tomorrow. We are a living sacrifice today. We need to con- be transformed today. We not, our, our transformation may not be startling from today to tomorrow, but that doesn't matter. We need to continue transforming today because our, now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. I thought I was already saved. Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about our eternal salvation, which we realize on the day of our death. We realize on the day that Jesus returns. And that is closer today than it was yesterday. You are one day closer to meeting God in heaven than you were yesterday. I don't know when you will die. I don't know how you will die. God does. And so whether you die from some crazy car crash today or brain aneurysm or you live another 50 years, I don't know. But you are closer today. And so we need to do these things today. It's not a thing, well, I'll do it later. No. You need to live for Christ today, no matter what day of the week it is. You need to live for Christ on Monday when you feel miserable from the weekend. You need to live for Christ on Wednesday when it's hump day and you're looking forward to the weekend. You need when you all the TGIF when it's Friday and you're looking forward. You need to live for Christ on Friday night and Saturday night. Not just on Sunday morning. And we need to live for Christ each and every day because now is our salvation. It's getting closer and closer. Every day is one day closer to Jesus' return. And then he, he sums up the, this chapter in verses 12 through 14. In 12 and 13, he, he talks about our actions. And he gets a little graphic here. The night is nearly over. And the night is this world. This world is nighttime. Okay? The, the, the world as it is, that we're not, to, it says in chapter 12, 1 and 2, it says, don't be conformed to this age. This age is the night. And this age has been this age since Jesus' resurrection. The night is nearly over. The day is near. Jesus' return is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. The deeds of darkness, the sin, the bad attitudes that we have, um, the ways we try to massage things so it always goes our way. Um, well, I wasn't really a lie. I just exaggerated a little bit. I just left something out. 
Those are the deeds of darkness. Trying to get your way, conniving your way. Put on the armor of light. And the, and the way this is worded and, and the word it's translated, it could also, the armor is, a, that's translated armor, but also, it could also, and, and that word, well, even though it's translated armor, which is a defensive thing, but it also could imply offensive weapons too. So think about the armor of God that Paul talks about in Galatians. Put on the armor of light. Verse 13, let us walk with decency as it is the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. And so he says, how, what, he lists some of the things that are the deeds of darkness. And, and he lists, basically he lists three things, although he does it in couplets. He says, the things of the, of the, of the darkness, what are they? Well, that's carousing and drunkenness. All right? And most of us Christians, we would say, yeah, you know, don't throw big, you know, frat party type parties. Um, we may argue about whether you can have a, a glass of wine over dinner or not, but this is not talking about that. It's talking about carousing. It's talking about full-blown party. And not just one. It's talking about having many of them all the time. Carousing and drunkenness. And so that, that's a couplet. So that's really describing one thing. So if we had somebody in our church that was a Sunday school teacher or a deacon, and we found out every weekend they were throwing uh, multiple kegger parties at their house, and um, it, it was a very, uh, and they did it every week, they, they, we probably would not ask them not to be a teacher anymore. And then number two, he says, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity. Once again, you know, we understand that. In our, our world, there's a lot of sexual impurity and promiscuity going on. And it, it's, you know, we live in a real world, but yet, once again, you know, we find out, um, we, we, we find, you know, how many pastors have lost their pastorate because um, they had an affair with the church secretary or the pianist or some other person in the church. It's happened many, many times. And rightly so. They should lose their ministry over something like that. And not in quarreling and jealousy. Wait a minute. Quarreling and jealousy. That's allowed in churches, right? How many churches have have quarreling and jealousy? You know, sometimes it's just quarreling over the color of the carpet for the sanctuary. Do we have pews or do we take out the pews and put in movable chairs? Why did this person get selected for that job and not me? Why did I why did they get picked and not me? All those types of things. Quarreling those go on in churches all the time. But when was the last time we kicked somebody off a, a committee or, or take, took somebody's job away in, in a church, fired a volunteer for quarreling and jealousy? You know, if, if they were, we found out they were watching pornography, we'd probably kick them out. But if they're just quarreling and jealousy, we don't. They're getting drunk all the time. And failing their family and firing that we, we, we would we, we would remove their position of authority. But if they're just jealous of everybody, no, we don't. But yet this is put equal, quarreling and jealousy is put on equal with sexual impurity and promiscuity with crowding and drunkenness. They're put all on equal footing. But in our church we don't make them we make quarreling and jealousy socially acceptable. 
And Paul says it's not. You are to be a living sacrifice. That means you've got to give up your jealousy of other people. You are to be transformed. That means you need to stop arguing with everybody just because they don't think the same way you do. And they don't agree with you. That is being transformed. That is a living sacrifice. That is a high calling for Christians to do. And in the last verse of this chapter, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. So all three of those things in 13 are all the desires of the flesh. He says, put on Jesus Christ like you put on a shirt. You put them on, you wear them so everybody can see that you are a follower of God. That's not always an easy thing to do. When you have to give up your way, and you think your way is better than the other way, but you're in the minority, or you're not the one in the leader, and the leader makes a decision, and it's not your decision. You were to follow. As long as it's not an ungodly order, not an ungodly ruling, you follow it. You give up. You give up the right to argue. In the army, we we have a lot of times that you know we have staff meetings and we sit and discuss and we have a the military decision making process and we go through this whole process. We look at courses of action and say, do we do course of action one or course of action two or course of action three? And we we go we have a whole process when we look at the positive and negatives of each course of action and what they'll do. And we, we give all those things and we tell the commander and the staff and one person may say course of action one is the, is the best one to have and somebody else says two. But we give it to the commander and the commander makes a decision. And once the commander makes a decision, all argument is over. We do the one that he picked, whether it's the one we were in favor of or not. And that happens in all places. It happens in business. It happens in churches. We have to make a decision. Do we do program one or program two? You know, do we remodel this room or this room? How do we remodel it? There's all kinds of just small decisions are always made, but yet people sometimes make a big deal out of it. Who's going to be the teacher of this new class? And you don't get picked. Or the person you want doesn't get picked. Do you stomp out mad or you just go on and say, okay. And so we are to, chapter 13 is a continuation of chapter 12, which begins, you are a living sacrifice. Everything you do is, should be holy and pleasing to God. You are to be transformed. You're not to be conformed to this age, to the worldly ideals of this world. But follow the commands of Scripture, which goes against the world. And that's not easy. It's not easy. It doesn't mean you always get your rights correctly, as we define the rights in, in America. It means you give up on quarreling and jealousy. You seek to cooperate. Remember in chapter 12 also it talks about we are one body. We are one body. And so we all have different roles. 
And so sometimes a roll is irritating to one part of the body for a short time. I was out cleaning some the, the fence line out of our ball field and I got little barts I got a little bit of poison ivy on me. So the role of taking care of, of those weeds and vines that were growing in the fence caused part of my body to suffer. But it was temporary. It's healing. It's fine. And so as 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 um the body of Christ Sometimes a task will irritate one part of the body for a short time, but it's for the greater good. It's for the gospel. It's for the gospel to be proclaimed, and so we move on. It's not always about what we want. It's about what God wants. It's about following others, because not everybody is a leader. The leaders are held in high... um, um, responsibility by God for making wise and godly decisions and they will be held accountable for that we if you're not the leader you are held accountable for what you need to do for your position for your duties and so God will hold you responsible what are you doing with your money what are you doing with your time are you quarreling are you being jealous in the church are you causing dissension within the church those are all things that are um, in the New Testament are talked about that needs to be out of the church. We don't need dissensions. We don't need quarreling and fighting and jealousies. They don't belong in the church. And so we need to transform our minds, transform our attitudes, because we are a living sacrifice. So as we continue through the book of Romans through the month of May, we will continue to chapter 14. And so 14 through you know, chapters 12 through 15, it talks about this earthly attitudes. How do we relate to one another? And so that continues in chapter 14. So as you read each of these chapters in 12 through 15, remember, go back and read chap- chapter, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's your preamble for each of the chapters that we are to be a living sacrifice. We are to transform our minds and not be conformed to this world. And so remember that as you read chapter 14. Because you are a child of God. And we live in a world that does not follow God. And so our attitudes and our things are different. Our clothes may look very similar sometimes. But our hearts and our minds should be very different. Let's close in prayer. Lord God, you are a mighty God. We just thank you for the words that you provide. Help us to be your servants in all that we do. Help us to follow your words. Help us to transform our minds, our attitudes, that we will be a living sacrifice. Help us to do your will each and every day in the big decisions of our life and in the small decision, inconsequential decisions in our life. In the attitudes that we have towards others, And the words that we say help all of it to be coming from you. Because you are the mighty God. And we just pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Once again, you can go to TowerViewKC.com to see more about us. If you're in the Kansas City area, we have Drive-In Church at 1030 in our parking lot. Uh, 
We have an FM transmitter that transmit. It's a 0.1 watt, so it's within the FCC regulations. And so you can come here and tune to 91.9 in our parking lot to get it. Um, you can watch our sermon. It's posted online at TowerViewKC.com. Um, our hymns that we're going to sing this morning in the parking lot are also posted there, so you can see the video there. Um, this lesson will be saved, and so you can watch it later. And you can see last week's and the weeks before that are on, the, on that website too. You can check out our Facebook page, Tower View Baptist Church. And there's a written daily devotional on there. It's posted every day. Um, other inspirational things, sometimes just some fun things that are posted there. You can check that out. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can also call us. You can call or text our church number, 816-368-1330. It's posted in one of the comments. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And have a blessed day. God bless.